Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children in Portland, Oregon. I'm Jana DeCristofero, and I'm here today with Donna Sherman, our chief executive officer, and she is joining us for part two in a four-part series of podcasts talking about language, suicide, and stigma. And so we're really looking forward to the conversation today with Donna. And uh, the Dear Dougie podcast arose uh, from our over 30 years of listening to the stories of grieving children, teens, and adults who have come to our bereavement support groups. And we were looking for a way to share what we've learned from them with the larger community and with our listening audience. So this podcast is a way to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we all experience loss during our lives, most of us find ourselves confused and unsure when it occurs. We don't know what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we're here to talk through a lot of the questions that you may have about that. So welcome, Donna. Really looking forward to talking with you today. This is the second in a four-part series. So if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to the first one, specifically about language and suicide and stigma, feel free to scroll through our past episodes to find that one. Thank you, Jana. So Donna, tell us just a little bit about you, your role here, kind of what brought you to wanting to talk about this in a podcast? Well, I have been different names, executive director or chief executive officer at the Dougie Center for about 25 years. And in 1988, while I was a volunteer, actually, we started a group specifically for 6 to 12-year-olds and their parents who'd had a suicide death and we started it because they asked for it. There seemed to be so many specific issues that were additional issues, many of which related to stigma and how they didn't feel they had the same support that other families who'd had a death in a car accident or drowning, for example, had. And they wanted to be with others who could understand more fully some of the uniquenesses of, of their grieving after a suicide death. Do you remember much from maybe those first two or three groups of anything that stood out to you as being different or unique from the other bereavement support groups you had volunteered in? Well, one of the things that strikes me is, in addition to the lack of social support, like we're just not getting the same kind of casseroles and care that others that we know or that we have given to others after a death. People avoid us. Another piece that I remember and still see at this point in time is that people are less inclined to ask, tell me about your dad if he died of suicide than if he did in a car crash. Mm -hmm. And so in certain ways, people come, become defined by how they died rather than who they were and how they lived. Yeah, exactly. They don't exactly. have so much opportunity to talk about the memories they have of that person or 
what what that person meant to them. Exactly, and maybe even an assumption that you don't want to talk about it because it was a suicide death. And what we find here at the Dougie Center is given the opportunity and the opening, both children and spouses or significant others of those who have died of suicide, teens, friends, want the opportunity as well to talk about who that person was, why they loved them, what was cool about them, what they're going to miss. And that openness and willingness on the part of others doesn't seem to be as open and willing mm. after a suicide death. And sometimes even within the uh, community of grieving people, it sounds like they were feeling those who had ex experienced a suicide death were wanting even more connection with others who had had a suicide death to maybe equalize that, to be like, now that we all have had the same type of death and we know about that, we can talk openly about who these people were and what they meant to us. Yes, and as well as some of the complicating factors that they encounter that perhaps aren't shared in other kinds mm -hmm. of deaths. And I'm not suggesting that to be effective, you have to have suicide-specific bereavement groups. But I remember one mother, for example, saying, and she was the only suicide death in her group of spouses who'd had a, a, a partner die, she said, when it she shared that her husband had died of suicide. One of the other women said, well, I thought it was bad that my husband died of a heart attack, mm, but, but, but it would be even so worse. worse. Yeah, mm. it would be worse. And, you know, it, it's not helpful to, to the person or in general to have sort of a competition about what kind of death is worse. Right. So that doesn't always foster the most open feeling for talking about yeah. what you've gone through. Yeah. I would like to mention a few things, though, about language specifically. And I want to give a little shout out to Compassionate Friends, the national organization that works with parents who've had a child die, because they took a leadership role many years ago to officially adopt the term died by suicide or died of suicide and encouraging other professionals and lay people to stop using the terminology, which is so common, committed mm. suicide. And they really took a leadership role in that area, as did the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention. And the, the terminology that they use is a suicide death suicide death instead of committed suicide and the reason that's important is that it can using the word committed contributes to a kind of stigma because it really comes from the time when suicide was a crime you committed a crime and in in the past in Europe and actually to this day in some countries um, it was considered or still is considered a crime, and the state can take your property. You can be denied a funeral. Or in some places in Europe, people who were buried were buried backwards from other oh. people. So instead of their head being at the grave marker, mm. and this was in the, the 
the Catholic Church at that time, they were buried the opposite way. And the idea was that you don't deserve to face Christ when Christ returns. Uh, but you have to go feet first. Yeah, you have to not face. So there, there's a lot of stigma in a lot of ways that contributes to the challenge and the difficulty for those who are bereaved by a suicide death. And that language is still language we use today for any type of committing a crime. You read about it in the newspaper. Committed, committed a, a felony. felony and misdemeanor. And, and you're talking about the, the gravestone is reminding me when, when my grandmother died, it was a, she was hit by killed, killed by a subway train and we never found out if she got pushed or if she jumped or if she fell. Mm. And it was first ruled a suicide on the death certificate. Uh. And my family went to great lengths to get that changed. This was in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1980s, not 1880s, <laughs> and they went to great lengths to get the death certificate changed because my grandmother was Catholic, and my grandfather had been buried in a Catholic ceremony, and my family was terrified, parts of my family were terrified that if it was ruled a suicide and the priest saw that, that he would not allow her to be buried next to my grandfather. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked, even as a teenager, to how great that fear and that stigma was, and they yeah. were able to change it to accidental death. Yeah which was very confusing to me as a teenager because I always thought it was a suicide. And then the, um, so. Were they hiding it? Was it, you know. What was and, and also on? people obviously can be denied life insurance and, and all kinds of other amenities that they would not be denied if it had not been a suicide death. So separate from the, the legal ramifications is really advocating that if we change the language to died by suicide or died of suicide or had a suicide death, helping specifically kids and teens as well of uh, broadening out the acceptance for how this person has died. Yes, well, lessening the stigma at least. Um, I'm not pro-suicide, so I'm, you know, this, the stigma... But I'm, but I'm not in favor of uh, demonizing people whose pain was, was so overwhelming to them that they couldn't imagine another way of being out of pain than taking their life. Mm -hmm. And some other terms that often get used, uh, even by people who have committed to not use committed suicide, <laughs> are completed suicide. Not a good term. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like an accomplishment. Wow, right. I, com I completed Another one that is not a good term to use is suicided. Like he suicided. He suicided. Mm. We don't say he car accidented mm. or he tuberculosis did, right. you know. Uh, and another one similar to completed suicide that I'm not in favor of is it was a successful suicide. Versus a failed suicide. Versus a failed suicide. Mm. Um, and I think that the, my, my preference, kind of a rule of thumb, is if I can't use the word cancer in place of suicide, I'm probably not, it's probably not working. So, for example, he died of cancer, he died of suicide. Mm. He didn't cancered, he didn't suicided. He didn't have a successful cancer death. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so that's a little bit of a rule of thumb that I used. Another way that some kids or families have chosen, and it's a personal preference, 
to describe what happened is to actually say what happened. For example, he jumped off a bridge. He took an overdose. He, you know, whatever the, the actual method was. Mm -hmm. And I've also had, I remember a teen one time saying, um, my dad died after a long battle with depression. With depression. Just like you would hear a child say, yeah. my dad died after a long battle with cancer. Yeah. Or diabetes. Yeah. And again, some people don't like the battle analogy. Mm -hmm. So that's all personal preference. But I think the point of that is that some of the kids are able to see and understand that there was a struggle there. It wasn't just, you know, that so much is encapsulated in that word suicide. Mm -hmm. And many conclusions are, are drawn from other people about what that means. And I think that they were often able to see that there was something, the combination of depression and hopelessness, that it was a, a struggle like people struggle with diabetes or people struggle with other kinds of diseases mm -hmm. or situations that contribute to their deaths. You know, and many kids, I've, I've heard them talk about, you know, my mommy died from a, a sickness in her brain. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what your, what's your take on that sort of explanation to kids that, you know, mommy or daddy had mm -hmm. an illness in their brain? I have a mixed, you know, I have kind of mixed to that because I don't ever want to oversimplify anything. But if you say somebody dies of a heart attack when their heart isn't working well or they die of a liver disease because there's an organ called uh, a liver that... I think it can be helpful to a certain degree, but the issue is it's not just a brain, you know, Edwin Schneidman, who was sort of considered the founder of modern suicidology, the study of suicide, talked about it as psych ache, mm. an ache of the soul. Um, and I think we still have a lot to do in terms of research to look at, is it always, is it a brain malfunction? Is it a reaction to challenging situations in life? It's, it's complex, it's not one simple mm -hmm. thing. So it's not just that your brain isn't working right. But, but I think it works to the degree that I think I can say a person who dies of suicide is not able to see or perceive or imagine other options for getting out of their pain. Mm -hmm. So the degree to which that involves thinking and the brain you know, but it's it's so much more complex. Right, and then hard when you're trying to distill it down for the youngest of kids, the three to four and the five-year-olds who exactly. are so concrete in their thinking. And it, for what I can see, it seems helpful for, for many of those kids to just have the understanding that how the person was thinking mm -hmm. is different than how maybe that child is thinking or that other caregiver is thinking. And that, that distinction seems to help because kids can relate to getting sad, getting angry, feeling upset about things. And yes. to, to share with kids, like, you know, daddy's brain was working different than ours. And, you know, when you're sad, you can come to me for a hug or you can do things that help you feel better in the moment. And daddy wasn't able to do that. He wasn't able to find a way yeah. to feel better. And I think that's a really helpful dis distinction because, 
it helps address the fear of, well, will that happen to me? And will it happen to you yeah. and everyone else I know? Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. So were there some other terms there, too? That well, I think the to? another one that is really important is not using the word suicide as a noun, mm. as a description of a person. So he was a suicide. Right, that this person now becomes his death. Yeah, so we don't say, we don't call other kinds of deaths, we don't define the person by how they died. And it doesn't take into consideration the fullness of who they were in their life. Mm -hmm. Do you have a sense of where that might come from? Because, you know, we don't usually say he was a car accident or she was a heart attack. I wonder for, particularly with suicide, where, what, what brought that to be? I, you know, I don't know, but I'm suspecting that it has to do with the uh, death certificate kind of mm. categories. So there's, uh, you know, or, or other kinds of categorizations that might be made in some of the disease-related um, listings. So accidental death, suicide, homicide, mm. disease, for example. But yeah. we still don't say he was a disease. He was a disease, right. I wonder, too, if there's some element of the um, law enforcement, if they're involved, declaring something a suicide or mm -hmm. a homicide in some way. Yeah. Maybe it got translated down yeah. from that. Yeah, and it, although there, the, the nuance of it was a suicide death or it was a suicide versus he is a suicide. Now a suicide. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a... It's a small but important distinction in terms of not adding additional stigma, both to the person who, who died, as well as to those who are bereaved by his or her death. Mm -hmm. And was there, we're getting kind of close on our time, was there any last things that you wanted to make sure we covered today? I think I just want to reinforce that, that kind of, you know, a rule of thumb is not, uh, applicable in every situation, but to think through, could I use the word cancer here if I'm using the word suicide when I'm talking about someone's death or when I'm talking about a person's, a specific person? Uh, just it's a great kind guidepost of a, as we're moving forward and say we're talking with a friend who's had someone in their life die by suicide to slow that down and say, yeah. can I put, could I put cancer in the place of what I'm about yeah. to say? And that's why I personally like of better than by. Mm. So he died of cancer. He died of suicide. A lot of people say he died by suicide, but you don't die by cancer. Right, right. So, you know, it's just all the little nuances that help make it something that we can talk about because when we can talk about depression and hopelessness and suicide contrary to past popular opinion, I think we can do more to help prevent that keeping it the secrecy and the stigma mm -hmm. actually contributes to people's alienation and hopelessness. Right, so if we create this environment where we talk openly about what happened, say we're talking to a child, we talk openly about what happened to their parent, and we talk in a way about what happened that's in a, 
I use the word accepting, but not like accepting of suicide, but um, understanding of the situation mm -hmm. that can lessen maybe the shame and guilt and that children can experience when they're going through this can help them to come forward then with questions and concerns that they have about maybe their own struggles with other um, mental health issues to be able to open that up in a way. Yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I know we will be talking to you again soon for uh, number three in the series. And do you want to give just a little preview of what we'll be talking about that day? I would like to talk in the third in this series about the question of why and the issue of choice mm. and, and how we talk about it and how we perceive suicide. Which relates back again to that, how do we talk to kids about this, but in a, in a more global perspective of that big question of yes. the three little letters. Yes. Okay, well, Donna, I really look forward to talking more about that with you in the future. Thank you. Um, and if you're one of our audience members and if you have particular questions or comments or things you'd love to have Donna talk more about when we get to uh, number three and number four in the series, please feel free to send us an email. You can reach us at help at Dougie.org and just put podcast somewhere in the subject line so we can uh, find you that way. And we look forward to having you tune in in the future for another episode. You can find past episodes on our website. Again, that's Dougie.org. Or you can also find us in iTunes. You can download any of our past episodes. If you'd like to learn more about our program, you can find us on Facebook and follow us as, on Twitter as well. So thank you again for joining us. And we look forward to um, our next episode. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Jenna. Thanks for listening.